Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Chopped Guillotine Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Harris, and today we are getting into our Ultimate Draft Guide Part 2, Players Edition. In case you missed Ultimate Draft Guide Part 1, I highly recommend you go back and give that a listen. I went over different draft strategies, tips, and tricks that can keep you in good shape through what is probably the most unique fantasy draft you've ever done. But today, we're going to take all of that advice and condense it into specific players who you should be targeting depending on what round it is and why you should be targeting them because some of these players might be way more valuable in a guillotine format and some of them may be way worse in a guillotine format than they are in regular fantasy football. A couple things to keep in mind throughout this episode, each round is 18 picks long. So when we get to the mid rounds, uh, looking at round four, you know, we're talking about guys like Jerry Judy and Jonathan Taylor. You might think that it sounds crazy that those guys are going in round four, but because this draft is so much longer, that's just where dudes end up. Um, and second thing to keep in mind, I'm going to be using ESPN rankings. This show is clearly not sponsored by ESPN. Actually, the show is sponsored by the share button. If you or someone you know has access to a share button, please use it. Um, but no, we're definitely not sponsored by ESPN. It's just the most widely used site for fantasy football. So odds are, if you're listening to this, you play fantasy football. And if you play fantasy football, you're most likely to be using ESPN. So that's why we're going with the ESPN rankings, even if they might be inferior rankings to people like fantasy pros, CBS, um, this is what we're working with. This is our life. We're going to go ahead and jump right into it after a more in-depth word from our sponsor, the share button. We got a lot of feedback from our last episode saying, Joe, I can't find a like button. I said, you know what? That's okay. I understand that not every podcast has access to a like button. So if your podcast app does not have access to a like button, I'm almost certain it has access to a share button. And if you just go ahead and press that share button and press whatever buttons happen after the share button, me and my sponsor would greatly appreciate it. So with that out of the way, let's get into round one. Picks one through 18. The first target in round one, the best target, is Travis Kelsey. He's ranked as the fifth overall player in a PPR ESPN league. All of these picks are for PPR, by the way. You should be playing guillotine fantasy football in PPR. Travis Kelsey is ranked at the 105. Um, we had an episode, episode five with Grant Himmelman, who talked about having the first overall pick, where he should go with it. I recommended that he take Travis Kelsey. I think that 105 is way too late for Travis Kelsey in a guillotine format. He gives you a complete advantage over everyone else in the league. And not only that, if you want to win your guillotine league, you have to have the number one overall player at every position by the end of it. And Travis Kelsey is the only person who we are just about 100% certain will finish the year at the top of their position, right? Christian McCaffrey might not be the number one running back. Justin Jefferson might not be the number one wide receiver. We have no idea who the number one quarterback is going to be, but we're all pretty confident that Travis Kelsey is going to finish this year as the most valuable tight end in fantasy football. Not only is he going to make it very hard for you to score the lowest amount of points in the league, but he's also the most important piece this early in the season because you know you're going to need him late. Our next target in round one is Stefan Diggs. He's currently ranked as the 13th overall player. Being able to get someone like that that late in the first round um, is really important. It's really valuable to your team because you need consistency. Stefan Diggs has consistently, since joining the Buffalo Bills, boasted over a 22% target share. He has always gone for over 1,300 yards, and he gets pretty reliable end zone looks too. So Stefan Diggs is one of our very most favorite targets that you can get uh, late in round one just because Everyone else going around there has some level of question marks, whether it be about their quarterback play, whether it be about target share, whether it be about their age. But Stefan Diggs in that spot 
doesn't have those questions. There is no competition for targets. We know the offense he plays on is great. We know the quarterback throwing him the ball is great. And we know the quarterback throwing him the ball loves throwing him the ball. A couple of players that I recommend avoiding in round one, the first of which is a guy who I do really love for fantasy football in general. But because I strongly recommend avoiding rookies, especially early in your draft, Bijan Robinson has to be on the list of guys that we're avoiding in round one. He's ranked as the eighth overall player in ESPN PPR leagues. That feels really high for someone who simply has not touched an NFL field. And don't get me wrong, I agree that he's going to be great when he does, but there have been a lot of guys who come out of college who do end up doing really great, even early on in their career. But the first few games, it becomes riskier. It's I would much rather bet on someone who I have seen play NFL football with my first pick in a guillotine draft than someone who hasn't. We don't know what the carry splits are going to look like. We don't know if he's going to catch the ball out of the backfield. And for that reason, I don't want to trust him as the best and most valuable player on my team. Our next avoid is AJ Brown. He's going at the one He's going at the very last pick in round one, 18th overall player in ESPN PPR. The main reason to avoid A.J. Brown is Devontae Smith, right? We saw late in the year Devontae Smith, um, for the last six weeks, Devontae Smith scored way better than A.J. Brown. He scored 22% more fantasy points than A.J. Brown. Jalen Hurts might be shifting his targets towards Devontae Smith. He might not. We really don't know. But the guys that you want to have on your team in these early rounds are guys that you are very comfortable with their role and their target share. A.J. Brown's target share, by the end of last year, it was great. It was above 20%, and that's what we look for. But game by game, it fluctuated pretty heavily because there was another elite wide receiver standing to the right of him in Devontae Smith. It's not a week-in, week-out consistent target share. We know he's going to get it throughout the season, but especially in the early days when your rosters are really, really shallow, if A.J. Brown has a three or four target game because Devontae Smith has an absolute explosion and has the hot hand, you're going to be in trouble. That's not the sort of person that you want to be picking to anchor your team. Moving into round two, we've got targets that you can absolutely feel comfortable with picking and anchoring your team. Um, Those targets to start are all of the quarterbacks. Um, There are three quarterbacks going in this range, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, and Josh Allen, that absolutely could warrant a first round pick, which totally goes against everything that you hear regular fantasy analysts tell you that, you know, you can get a quarterback late, it's going to be okay. That isn't the case in an 18-person league. And especially when you need not to beat the person you're matched up against, but just, excuse me, but not be last overall. Having an elite quarterback like Patrick Mahomes or Jalen Hurts makes it incredibly difficult for you to score the lowest amount of points because you can lock those guys in for a minimum of 25 points, basically week in and week out. That is consistency. They also have, you know, we've seen them have incredible explosion games with crazy high upside. That's someone who you can absolutely anchor and build your team around. Um, Those quarterbacks are ranked at the 7th, 8th, and ninth pick in round two. Another target in round two, we've got Chris Olave. He's going at the fifth pick in round two. This is someone who we can be very confident, um, not only in their target share, but also in their usage. They're going to be giving Chris Olave a lot of really high value targets. He was running very deep routes last year, and he was also drawing consistent targets. Those are two things that often don't happen at the same time. But when they do happen at the same time, it's explosive. And that's exactly what he was. We didn't see the fantasy performance that we wanted to out of him. And that's because over half of those deep targets were thrown by Andy Dalton. And they were off-target throws. Derek Carr had the highest, the second highest, excuse me, 
on-target rate of passes more than 20 yards downfield last season, and that's his new quarterback. You can very firmly expect Chris Olave to not only maintain his over 20% target share, but haul in more of those deep catches and be an absolute stud to anchor your team around in round two. There's a good handful of players that we're avoiding in round two, and all of them are just based around not their talent, not whether or not we think they're good, but a math problem. The players we're avoiding in round two, Jalen Waddell, DK Metcalf, T. Higgins, Devonta Smith, and Debo Samuel. These are all really, really good NFL football players. Don't get me wrong. The issue with taking them in round two as part of the centerpiece of your team is the same thing that we talked about with A.J. Brown a few minutes ago. These guys all have pretty significant target competition. They're either the wide receiver two on their team, or in Debo Samuel's case, the wide receiver one is basically Christian McCaffrey, the running back. You cannot bet on these guys week in, week out to get consistent targets and consistent production. And for that reason, it's definitely recommended to avoid them in round two, especially when you could be getting an elite quarterback, a Chris Olave, a running back who has very consistent workload. And then you can build out your team with wide receivers later on in the draft where, you know, maybe they're not quite as consistent as you would like, but you've already locked in the consistency on your team. This is a theme going back to what we talked about um, in our last episode. The most important part of guillotine drafting is you want to draft your very safe, your high floor players early and you want to draft the high-variance, high-ceiling, anything-could-happen-to-these-guys players late. Moving into round three, um, the guy that we like targeting most is Mark Andrews. Um, he's going at the second pick in round three. The same argument for Kelsey applies, just except that he's going to be the tight end, too. By almost every projection, every metric, we see him drawing more targets than anyone else in the league outside of Travis Kelsey. We see him drawing more yards than anyone else in the league outside of Travis Kelsey. He is the most likely person to be the tight end to. And if you can't get Travis Kelsey, the safety that Mark Andrews is going to provide to your team is immense. Also going at the eighth pick in round three, Damian Pierce, who got an otherworldly 75 plus percent of his team's running back work last year. That is unheard of. That is Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs last year levels of usage. And it didn't turn into fantasy points very much because there was no threat of a passing offense. He faced more stack boxes than anyone in the NFL. That includes Derrick Henry. And so it shouldn't be surprising when the carries that he was getting didn't turn into super high value touches because their offense couldn't move the ball and the threat of Davis Mills throwing the football was kind of laughed at by defenses and rightfully so they because it didn't go anywhere with it even though he faced the most stacked boxes in the NFL he averaged more than four yards per carry which is over a yard and a half better than the next best running back on his team that is absolutely absurd we we don't see those numbers put up by guys who are getting the majority of their work we see numbers like that get put up by guys who are just getting one or two carries here and there and then they are fluky enough to outperform the rest of their team there was no one like that on houston last year the best and most explosive runner by far on that team is still Damian Pierce, and he's still going to continue to get an otherworldly workload. In round three, we've got a lot of players we want to avoid, and that is mostly because they have question marks about what's going to happen in week one. Joe Burrow, who's going at the 304, Brees Hall at the 310, and Alvin Kamara, who we don't actually have question marks about Alvin Kamara. We know he's going to miss week one. We know he's going to miss week two. We know he's going to miss week three. Um, that's that's a pretty substantial chunk of time to miss in a guillotine league. So he's a very hard avoid. Um, Joe Burrow and Brees Hall 
We don't know if they're going to miss week one. Signs are pointing to them playing. It's more of a question of how well can we expect them to perform in week one. We saw last year with Joe Burrow, he missed the entirety of the preseason. He missed a lot of training camp with his ruptured appendix. And when he came back week one, he didn't look like Joe Burrow. We know what Joe Burrow looks like. We know he's great. And he wasn't great in week one. The Bengals lost to the Steelers in overtime. And Joe Burrow had one touchdown, two interceptions, and sub 300 yards. That's that's not what you want out of your starting quarterback. Definitely not out of one that you're drafting in round three. And so because we can expect him to be still shaking the rust off a little bit, they're playing against the Cleveland Browns, which has a really, they have a really underrated defense. I'm looking to avoid Joe Burrow in the third round when there's guys like Mark Andrews and Damian Pierce going around him. Brees Hall, another guy with enormous question marks, um, very sadly tore his ACL midseason last year. The Jets also just brought in Dalvin Cook, which likely isn't news to you at all, but we do have a lot of questions about what Brees Hall's workload is going to look like. We had those questions before they brought in Dalvin Cook. And so adding a guy who they're paying $8.5 million to into that backfield certainly is not going to make Brees Hall a more attractive pick. For that reason, we're definitely avoiding him in round three. And another big avoid in round three is TJ Hawkinson. Um, he's going at the 13th overall pick in round three. And way he's way different than guys like Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews, who, you know, they're tight ends who are consistently drawing targets, who we love, who are consistently scoring points. TJ Hawkinson is being pushed up because of how valuable guys like Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews are. And we're searching for who's going to be the next Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews, who gets a great target share, who scores plenty of touchdowns, and has weeks that absolutely win you your matchup. And TJ Hawkinson has one of those things. He has weeks that are going to absolutely win you a matchup in regular fantasy. The problem is... He also has a lot of weeks where he does basically nothing. To have someone like that in the third round, these are still guys who you want to be consistent, who you can bet on week in and week out. And TJ Hawkinson just doesn't provide that. People want to point to his really high points per game after he joined the Minnesota Vikings last year, which was really high. It was really impressive. Don't get me wrong. Over half of his points came in three games. And he was on the Vikings for a good 10 games last year. Not only that, but those three games, two of them were against the Seattle Seahawks, and one of them was against the New York Giants. And both of those teams were bottom three in points allowed to tight ends. All this tells me, and all this should tell you, is that TJ Hawkinson absolutely feasted on really weak competition, and once he played anyone who knew how to cover a tight end, he did almost nothing. This is also a team that just drafted a wide receiver in the first round. It's hard to say that TJ Hawkinson is going to see an increased workload compared to last year because the team went out and added an incredibly high profile target. I don't think there's any chance that he's the second biggest target getter on his team. He's definitely not the first target getter on his team. Um, And for that reason, you should be out on TJ Hawkinson, especially this early in the draft. Round four picks 55 through 72. The two best targets in this draft, um, in this draft range, are the Justins. We've got Justin Herbert and we've got Justin Fields. These are two electric quarterbacks who have decent rushing upside or incredible rushing upside in the case of Justin Fields really good weapons around them, and guys who are expected to take a jump. Because of either the rushing ability or because of the absolutely unbelievable weapons surrounding them, these guys are absolutely valid picks in the third round. If you're late in round three, you don't see Mark Andrews, you don't see Damian Pierce, not a lot of guys who you like, there's nothing wrong with taking one of these elite quarterbacks named Justin. They provide a really great floor for your team. Their ceiling is 
obviously otherworldly. And it's hard to find value like that, that you can be confident in their ability to keep you in the league and also confident in, you, in their ability to win you the league um, this late in the draft. Once you get past pick 50, they're very good targets. Three guys that we're avoiding in the round four range, the first of which is George Kittle. He's going at the 16th pick in round four um, for the same reason as Depot Samuel. The 49ers math problem is one that you don't want to bet on trying to solve. There are way too many mouths to feed and unfortunately not a good enough arm at quarterback to feed them. I like Brock Purdy. He's a really good story. He's an interesting guy. He has a noodle arm with absolutely no disrespect. There's no zip on the ball. This is all based around, his success is based around the Shanahan scheme, which is great. But if there's one thing we also know about the Shanahan scheme, it is very fickle for fantasy players. Your guys like George Kittle or Debo Samuel might just absolutely be schemed out of a game for no reason other than they just don't like the matchup or they like a different matchup more. Not someone who you want to target in a range of guys where you're still hoping to get really consistent production. You're talking about the fourth best player on your team. You don't want to have a question mark at the fourth best player on your team. Additional question marks include Jerry Judy, who had a enormous um, hamstring injury happening uh, in camp earlier in the off season. He's going in the, he's going at the 10th pick in round four. There's buzz about Jerry Judy maybe starting week one. Even if he starts week one, I don't think that's someone who you can be confident starting in week one. Honestly, if you draft Jerry Judy at all, I think the worst thing Jerry Judy can do is play in week one and trick you into starting him or make you worried about, oh no, I can't leave him on the bench, can I? Because guys coming their first game off of their hamstring injury, especially when they rush back, is traditionally not a guy that you want to start, but he's also a, a way bigger name in week one than anyone else you could be starting who you drafted in round nine or 10. So for that reason, I'm not looking to put him on any of my rosters for guillotine leagues, obviously. One guy who I'm not looking to put on any of my rosters for guillotine leagues or for any fantasy league for that matter is Jonathan Taylor. He's going at the 12th pick in round four Jonathan Taylor might not play football this year. It is, we know for a fact he's not playing for the first four weeks. Um, he's missing some really great matchups that would have been awesome to have him there for. He would have been a first round target if he was playing in week one. Because he's not playing in week one or week two or week three or week four. You, you get the picture, right? Let someone else make the mistake of auto-drafting Jonathan Taylor to their team. When you're in round four, you have only put three starters into your lineup. You cannot afford to spend round four draft capital on a guy who you know you won't get any use out of for the first four weeks of the league. If you do, then congratulations. You're probably making a pick for someone else's team because odds are you're going to be out by the time Jonathan Taylor is back. In round five, we're looking at picks 73 through pick 90. We have a good handful of targets. I really love the options here in round five. The avoids even aren't that terrible of avoids. Uh, my favorite target in round five is Jahan Dotson. Terry McLaurin is likely going to miss the first two or three weeks of the year. Jahan Dotson is going with the 12th pick in round five. This is a guy who has already, um, in a injury-marred rookie season, he drew upwards of 18% of targets when he was on the field. He was a really good deep ball guy. He was a really good short and intermediate area guy. He caught a lot of touchdowns. It is very clear to see that if there is no Terry McLaurin, who's a great wide receiver, if there's no real competition for targets, getting this guy in round five is an absolute steal. Locking him in that production in for likely 15 points per game, if not more, as the fifth best player on your team is ridiculous value. 
other guys who are really awesome values that are going in round five. You've got J.K. Dobbins. You've got David Montgomery. Both of these guys you can expect to get out to a really hot start to the year. If you didn't get early running backs, if you need something safe, you can absolutely count on both of those guys. J.K. Dobbins has incredibly easy matchups to open the season. Week one, he plays against the Houston Texans, which for the last three years have been in the bottom five of stopping the run. They didn't add anyone on the interior. They cut one of their veteran linebackers just a few days ago, you can expect them, especially early in the season, to get ran over by the Ravens in week one, namely by J.K. Dobbins. David Montgomery, who's going with the fifth pick in round five, is another excellent early season option because the reason that he's going in the round five and the 78 pick range is because his team drafted a running back in the first round. Rookie running backs take a while to really heat up. For that reason, you can expect David Montgomery to have a much better start to the season than he's going to have an end to the season. And those are the sort of guys that we really like to target in guillotine drafts. Not to mention, he plays the Kansas City Chiefs in week one, who are in all likelihood going to be without Chris Jones. So that hole in the interior of the defensive line is something that David Montgomery has routinely exploited in the past, and I don't think that's something that you can expect Jameer Gibbs to be in charge of exploiting because David Montgomery is a much bigger, stronger guy, and Gibbs profiles to be more of the pass catcher. So David Montgomery, especially in week one, has some pretty insane value. Um, Cortland Sutton is also going in this range, which with the Jerry G with the Jerry Judy injury, um, he's totally worth a look there. I just don't see myself drafting him over uh, Jahan Dotson. And right now, Cortland Sutton is ranked ahead of Jahan Dotson. But it's totally worth a look if someone else has already taken Jahan Dotson from you in round five. A couple of guys that we're avoiding. You've got Jackson Smith Najigba, who's going at the 10th pick in the fifth round. There's two reasons you want to avoid JSN here, the first of which it's a high pick to be taking a, a rookie wide receiver. You, th This is still the range where, yeah, you do want to start creeping towards higher variance players, but because the wide receivers you can get in this range not only have high variance early in the year, but they have a lot more safety, I'm looking to avoid him. Not only that, he had wrist surgery two weeks ago. He has returned to practice, and he was catching balls at practice, which is... Very impressive. Take nothing away from JSN, but not a guy that you want to roll out there week one. And similar things can be said about George Pickens. Um, the variance for George Pickens is really high. He is the ultimate litmus test of what you like more for fantasy football. Do you like the eye test? Do you like the gut feeling? Because when you watch him play, it's really fun. He goes up, gets jump balls, he shoves people down in what's probably an offensive pass interference, but they let it slide. But the numbers don't back it up, especially with a round five pick. He does not draw targets at an elite level. He was the third highest target, highest targeted option on his team last year, and the two guys that were getting targets over him are still there. They still look great. Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth will both be targeted more than George Pickens, that he does not have the consistency that you want to have here in round five. He could absolutely have a week where he just gets game planned out because the cornerback on him can jump really high. He's a jump ball guy. He makes really cool, really fast plays. He blocks great. I don't want my wide receivers to be good at blocking. I want them to be good at getting open and catching passes, and that is something. Those are two things that he doesn't do routinely. So for that reason, I'm pretty far out of, on him, and you should be too. Round six, we get past the 90th overall pick in the draft, and that's where you start scraping kind of the bottom of the barrel. We've got three targets in this range, though, that I'm really excited about. Michael Thomas at the eighth pick in the sixth round is a steal if you're doing a guillotine fantasy football format. The reason he's so far down is because we're 
we're doing something that's absolutely absurd. We're projecting for him to get injured at some point in the year. And I think we're right to do that. Michael Thomas has played less than half of his games every years, every year for the past three years. It's probably going to happen again. But he's healthy right now. Round six, if you are in a spot where you need a guy who's going to make sure that you stay up and keep going for the next three or four weeks, Michael Thomas can stay healthy for the next three or four weeks. He can still draw targets. He's a really good short and intermediate route guy. He gets open on those routes very consistently. He should absolutely be the number two target for the New Orleans Saints. And that's a spot that's been pretty valuable in the past. Derek Carr's number two target has been consistently good, if not if not great, on years when he's had an actual real number two target. You know, you think about guys like Hunter Renfro, you think about guys like Michael Crabtree. When he's had a good number two option to throw to, that guy has done very well. I don't think it's a question about whether or not Michael Thomas is going to do well. It's more of a question about when is Michael Thomas's foot going to fall off of his body. If it's week two, then you swung and you missed on Michael Thomas. If you get six weeks out of him, then you've made a great investment. He's a guy who I'm probably looking to trade if he's still healthy by week four. Another target I really like in this range, you've got Tua Tagovailoa. He's going at the 14th pick in round six. This is the last um, quarterback that I really, really want on my team. I think that he has enormous upside. I think that he's probably worth around five or even a late round four pick because we know that he's throwing the ball to two of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And if we're drafting both of those guys in the first 20 picks, the guy who's throwing them the ball should probably be drafted way higher than this. Um, the reason he's down here is probably really similar to the Michael Thomas reason. The guy suffered three concussions last year that we know of, which is a very scary number in all honesty. But it's hard to project him to play a full 17 games it's pretty easy to project them to play the first four and if you're getting the first four games out of Tua you're making a good pick here in round six you're getting your team off the ground and you give yourself the ability to pivot later on if he does sadly get injured again the last guy that I'm really excited about targeting here in round six is actually going with the very last pick in round six 18th in the round Gabe Davis. He's the wide receiver two for the Buffalo Bills. He had a really good start to the season last year that people don't talk about quite enough because he had a really bad finish to the season. The bad finish is in all likelihood just a result of Gabe Davis and Josh Allen both suffering injuries. Gabe Davis is a really great round six pick. I want him to be the sixth best player on my team for two reasons. One, he's the second option in a really high-powered offense. That means something. Um, that means that he can draw targets at an elite rate, and it also means that he can score an otherworldly amount of fantasy points and just completely save your week. People like to push back and say, well, Gabe Davis also has games where he only gets four or five targets, and those aren't great games. This is the part of the draft past, past the 100th overall pick where you are starting to look for guys with more variance. And Gabe Davis has that in a way that can absolutely win a week and save you. And there are not a lot of guys going past this range that you can say the same about. If you have five guys who you think are really consistent on your team, your sixth guy can be a little less consistent, but if he has the firepower to go for, I don't know, 200 yards and four touchdowns like he did in the AFC divisional round, that's a good guy to have as your wide receiver three, or as your flex. He's the perfect flex. Two guys that we're going to want to avoid going in round six, Cole Komet, for whatever reason, is going at the 605. That's, that's 95th overall. Cole Komet spends more time pass blocking than he does running routes. You do not get fantasy points for blocking, even if he's really good. Like, he, he just got an extension over the offseason. There is 
warranted hype because he's a good player. He's not a guy that runs a lot of routes. When he does run routes, he doesn't have a great rate of getting open. Lots of tight ends don't have a great rate of getting open. They're slower. But even when he's open, he does not draw targets at a good rate. Those are three reasons that if you're combining them on any player, even if it's round 18, I'm not looking to draft Cole Komet. Um, you want nothing to do with him in round six. Another guy you want nothing to do with in round six is Quentin Johnston. It's the, the appeal of Quentin Johnston is that the two wide receivers ahead of him in on the Chargers are Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Those are two guys who have suffered injuries pretty routinely in the past. They both missed time last year. And so if one or both of them missed time, Quentin Johnston should be a really good pick. Neither of those guys have injuries or lingering injuries that they're dealing with right now. And for that reason, I'm pretty far out on Quentin Johnston whenever I could take Gabe Davis with that same pick. Take someone who is already the number two option with a better quarterback on a better offense and has less competition to deal with. Because there's also no pass-catching running back in Buffalo. You also have to deal with Austin Eckler there if you're Quentin Johnston. So the sixth round is way too early. He could absolutely have a great middle or late season in the events that he either plays better than some of the wide receivers on the Chargers roster or some of them get hurt. But for the first month or so, this isn't a guy I would be comfortable starting, and it's too early to take him here. We're a little over halfway through all of the rounds, probably over halfway done with this episode. We're looking at round seven. Those are picks 109 through 126. It starts to dry up a little bit here. Once we get past pick 110 or so, there are no really bad picks. So the avoids that we're going to be giving you are generally looser avoids, but the targets are still really good. The target that I like the most in this round is Geno Smith. He's going at the 17th pick in the seventh round. That's a really, really good deal. The reason that he's so low is because people don't expect him to do what he did last year. I don't think it's crazy to not expect Geno Smith to not do what he did last year. He had, he was the most accurate passer in the NFL. He led in completion percentage. He threw the ball downfield the most in the NFL, and he had the highest downfield completion percentage as well. Those two things almost never mix. The fact that he did it, it's, it speaks a lot to his talent. It speaks a lot to his comeback, but it's very unlikely for someone to do that ever in their career, it's way more unlikely for them to repeat it in back-to-back -back years. However, the first game of the season, he plays against the Los Angeles Rams. And if you are listening to this podcast, unless you live in Los Angeles, I guarantee you, you cannot name a single player for the Los Angeles Rams who plays in their secondary. Jalen Ramsey was traded. Troy Hill was cut. And those are the only names that existed in their secondary last year. He also just got a pass-catching running back drafted in round two. He got a first-round wide receiver drafted to his team. Geno Smith, if you have not filled your quarterback spot up by this point, he is the premier pick. Going at the third pick in the seventh round, we've got Jamal Williams. He is the starting running back for the first three weeks for the Saints. Jamal Williams last year was a short yardage running back um, in two senses of the word. The first sense being that he got a lot of goal-to-go carries and he scored on a lot of goal-to-go carries. Um, and the second sense of the word being that every carry that he got went for a very short amount of yardage. Um, he averaged less than three yards per carry. That's really bad. Uh, you you don't want a running back who is older than average, who does not have elite speed, and already has a very low yards per carry. The fortunate thing for him is he's the only running back for the Saints that can play week one. Alvin Kamara is suspended. 
and Kendra Miller is coming off of surgery. Kendra Miller might get involved, but again, rookie running back coming off of surgery, not someone you would project to have a good week one. So, excuse me again. Wow. So Jamal Williams, I mean, we're past the 100th overall pick. All these guys are going to have flaws, but Jamal Williams is going to have volume in week one. And it's hard to find guys that are going to have volume in week one this late in the draft. So if you've got an open running back or an open flex spot, he can be a plug-and-play guy for probably the first three weeks of the season until Alan Kamara comes back. And then he is nothing. But he got you through those first three weeks. Not a waste of a pick. A couple of guys we're looking to avoid in this range, the first of which, and the most obvious, is Zach Ertz. Um... Zach Ertz was a great tight end for a really long time. He's now playing for the Arizona Cardinals. He's already injured. He's over 30 years old. And the Arizona Cardinals cut their presumptive starting quarterback in Colt McCoy. The two options that he has to be throwing him the ball in week one are Clayton Toon, a rookie quarterback who was picked in the fifth round of this draft, or Josh Dobbs. I love Josh Dobbs. He's an actual rocket scientist. For those of you who don't know, he worked for NASA for a long time. He's had, I think, one start in his NFL career, and it was a loss. He is a mobile quarterback. He's not going to be a guy who looks to target an injured tight end. The, the appeal to Zach Ertz is he gets a lot of end zone targets. It's very hard to expect the Arizona Cardinals getting anywhere close to the end zone for the first three weeks of the year. Uh, week one, they play against the Washington Commanders. That's a defense that I'm targeting really aggressively in round nine. I'll talk about that when we get to round nine. But Zach Ertz is effectively setting your seventh round pick on fire. He's not the seventh best pick. He's not going to be the seventh best player on your team. So don't take him with your seventh pick. Another guy who has a lot of interesting appeal, but we're still looking to avoid is Jarek McKinnon. Every year, towards the end of the year, the Chiefs use Jarek McKinnon. They use him well. He's a PPR monster. There's a reason that they wait for the end of the year. There's two reasons, actually. The first reason is that he's 29 years old, and in running back years, that's 82. You don't if you're a contending team like the Chiefs, who is 95% sure they're going to be playing in the playoffs, you don't want a older, valuable piece of your team taking snaps early in the season. You want to save him for late season important games and definitely the playoffs. Additionally, to compound on that, Jarek McKinnon, when he played for the San Francisco 49ers for the first four years of his career, was very injury prone. He actually had never played a full season until he came to the Kansas City Chiefs. So this is a guy who the pattern shows the Chiefs like the Chiefs like to keep him in the shop for the first few weeks of the year. And for that reason, the idea that you can draft him to fill your flex spot and catch a lot of passes, it sounds great in theory. I'm warning you about that theory. It it relies on an assumption that very well may not be true, and the Chiefs have actually showed us for each of the last two years that the assumption is not true. You can totally expect that assumption to, or that trend to continue, excuse me. In round eight, picks 127 through 124. It, and it really feels crazy that in round eight is the first player you're drafting who might be a bench player. Like, this is the 127th best player in the draft at the very ceiling, if you have the first pick in round eight. And this is your first guy going on the bench. When you look at bench players in really any format, but in guillotine especially, there's something very particular that you want to look for. And if you've listened to this, uh, to this episode for this long, Congratulations, you're getting a very important nugget of information. Um, the player, the first player that you draft to your bench should be the opposite position of the guy who you have in your flex. So if I have a running back in my flex, I need to be drafting a wide receiver in round eight. The reason for that is 
if one of your starting running backs goes down, then your guy in your flex moves into a starting running back position, and the wide receiver you drafted goes into the flex. And then if one of your starting wide receivers goes down, then the first guy on your bench just fills that starting wide receiver spot. If you're if you make the mistake of picking a guy from the same position as your flex, then if someone from the opposite position goes down, you're way shallower at that spot than you want to be, and you could have gotten a better player to fill that position at the same cost here in round eight. So always keep that in mind when you're drafting in round eight. Also keep in mind that if you haven't drafted a quarterback, you need to. And also keep in mind these two targets. We've got Kadarius Toney going at the ninth overall pick, and we've got Paris Campbell going at the 12th pick in round eight. So the argument for Kadarius Toney is the exact same as the argument for, for Gabe Davis. Excuse me. Uh, Kadarius Toney is on an incredible offense. He has the best quarterback in the NFL in Patrick Mahomes, and he if healthy, could very well be the second highest target getter on this team. Uh, the reason that he's all the way down here in round eight and not up with Gabe Davis in round seven is because he's coming off of an injury. I feel like he's always coming off of an injury or getting injured. It's hard to expect him to play the entire season at full health. You actually shouldn't expect him to play the entire season at full health. But as a guy who can get off to a hot start, yeah. You can totally see him getting off to a hot start. If he plays week one, I mean, he's in round eight, so you're not starting him week one. If he plays week one and looks good, you can feel confident starting him over maybe a guy that you missed on earlier. Or maybe a guy you he's a guy that you can trade because he was Patrick Mahomes' number one target. It's not something that you would expect to happen throughout the entire season, but it's something you can maybe convince one of your friends is going to happen. Uh, Paris Campbell going at the 12th pick in round eight. He's kind of the opposite of this. He is, you can expect him to see eight or nine targets a game from Daniel Jones, which are way lower value targets than uh, targets that you're going to get from Patrick Mahomes. But he does profile to be the top wide receiver on this team. He is the only one that tends to not leave the field whenever um, they're running different sets with the number one offense. The reason he's not higher is because Darren Waller is a guy who exists. Um, he's drawing way more targets than anyone on this Giants team. He is a PPR monster, but he's also 30-something years old, and he has an extensive injury history. Paris Campbell here in round eight, If not only does he have a very consistent floor in standalone value, but in the unfortunate event that Darren Waller suffers an injury, Paris Campbell will be the number one target earner on this team. And getting someone like that past pick 130 is unheard of. Guys that we're looking to avoid in the round eight range, we've got a couple of running backs in Ezekiel Elliott and Depp and Singletary. Um, both of these guys are pretty much here on name value alone, especially Ezekiel Elliott. Um, you shouldn't expect a lot out of Ezekiel Elliott. The reason that he's here is because he's exciting. You know, we, we've seen him be really good in the past. We've also seen him be really bad for the last two years. I would expect he's really bad next year as well. Um, he could very well be the goal line back. That's not someone that you want to target for a guillotine league. The goal line carries, not only is are getting the carries kind of fluky, but getting into the end zone with those carries is also fluky. He's a guy that if he doesn't score a touchdown, then he is a very big liability in your lineup. And that's not someone I'm looking to draft. Neither is Devin Singletary. He's really, I, I don't understand what Devin, what Devin Singletary is doing here. I think there might be some people who think that because Damian Pierce was a day three pick, that he's not going to keep the starting job, which we do see happen a lot. Damian Harris, not Damian Harris, sorry. Damian Pierce, was the first pick in round four. If he was picked one spot earlier, he would have been a day two pick, and all of those arguments wouldn't be heard. But because he had to slip by one more pick to the Houston Texans, we have to hear the stupid, repetitive argument that because he was picked in day three, the team is probably going to replace him. They're not going to replace him. 
He is the best runner on this team by every metric. He has outperformed Devin Singletary by every meaningful running back metric, yards per carry, yards per route run, total yards, everything since they've both been in the league. That's going to continue. Devin Singletary is an afterthought. He is a backup running back. He's a high-end backup, but when you're looking at guys like Kadarius Toney and Paris Campbell who are going after him, I'll take the guys with much higher upside and a much higher floor, just at a different position. The last avoid in this range is Kyler Murray. It might sound funny to some of you that I'm even mentioning Kyler Murray. Some of you might be surprised to mention Kyler Murray, because I'll grant you that he has decent upside if he ever comes back. Um, the problem with the Kyler Murray pick is that it might be a pick that just sits on your roster for a long time, clogs space, and never gets any play. And that's probably the most likely outcome for Kyler Murray. He's not coming back week one or any time in the near future. He had a pretty significant injury towards the end of last year. This team is bad. He doesn't especially want to go out there and risk an injury to win meaningless games. The reason I'm even bringing him up is because when you start getting through round eight and round nine, you're looking at a lot of really not great NFL players. And when you see Kyler Murray, who we know is a great NFL player, the, you're going to want to scratch that itch of, you know what? Maybe he, he's got the upside. It's not worth it. It is lighting a pick on fire. By the time he gets back, which is projected to be week eight at the earliest, by the time he gets back, there are only 10 teams left in your league. That means there are only 10 starting quarterbacks. Kyler Murray is not going to be ranked as a top 10 quarterback in his first week back or in his second week back, maybe in his third week back. But at that point, there's only eight teams left in the league, and there's certainly eight quarterbacks who you're going to be more comfortable starting than Kyler Murray. So if you think you can work a trade with him, if you've got a big Cardinals fan in your league, maybe he's worth a pick. Otherwise, avoid at all costs let someone else set one of their draft picks on fire on Kyler Murray. Round 9 is picks 145 through 162. In this ranking range, it's basically all defenses and kickers. Like, there are, there are only two players who are not defenses and kickers going in this range. Uh, one of them is Raheem Mostert, who... I would really like to draft in round nine just because he's a guy who has great speed. He can break a run for any, you know, an 80-yard touchdown. And the only competition for touches on his team is Jeff Wilson, who's been pretty injury-prone in the past. So there's good upside there. Um, but the guy who I'm really targeting in this range is Deion Jackson. He is the starting running back for the Colts in week one, which is it a good spot to be in? No. But is it better than a lot of other guys going in this range? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, you don't expect the Colts to play well week one, but this is a starting running back. There are 32 NFL teams, and there are a minimum of 36 starting running back spots in a guillotine league. The math doesn't add up. You're going to need guys like Deion Jackson because the rosters are just so spread thin. If someone made a mistake of drafting Alvin Kamara or any other Jonathan Taylor or anyone like that, then the player who they have locked in at their RB1 or RB2 spot has a big fat zero. Deion Jackson is a guy who you can turn right to them and you can make a really, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it, lopsided trade in your favor because if they wasted early draft capital on an Alvin Kamara or a Jonathan Taylor you you've, you're holding them by the balls their only hope of making it to week two or week three comes in getting a running back who they can start and Deion Jackson this late in the draft is the only number one starting running back here the value of picking him up and trading him, or 
if you just haven't drafted a number two running back yet, the value of getting him in round nine past 150 is enormous. Um, kickers and defenses are going in this range, like I said. In episode one, I told you to not draft a kicker until your last pick. I meant it. If you're if Deion Jackson and Raheem Mostert are off the board here in round nine, then a defense is totally worth a pick. Um, I really like the Washington Red Football Commanders defense. They're, um, they get the Arizona Cardinals in week one, and I've already explained why uh, that offense, especially that roster as a whole, is just a dumpster fire. So that's someone you can look at to make sure that you have just just that increased floor for week one, because in week one, everything is really fluky. Round 10, uh, the last round, full round that we're going to cover, goes from picks 163 to 180. Uh, most of the targets here are wide receivers. Deion Jackson actually is going in this range, but you should be picking Deion Jackson well before round 10. There is He is way more valuable than the 10th best player on your team. Other guys who are, I think, way more valuable than the 10th best player on your team are guys like Alan Lazard, guys like Van Jefferson, guys like Romeo Dobbs. All of these guys profiled to be either the wide receiver one or the wide receiver two on their team. All of these guys have what we think are good, if not great, quarterbacks in the case of Alan Lazard. Then going past pick 150, in a league that is so shallow is ludicrous. The reason they're going this late is because there's no chance that any of them are the wide receiver one. Like Romeo Dobbs is not gonna be better than Christian Watson. Van Jefferson is certainly not gonna be better than Cooper Cup, excuse me. And Alan Lazard, clearly not a better wide receiver uh, than Garrett Wilson. And the reason they're going this late is because they just don't have exciting upside. In round 10, you you don't need especially super exciting upside. You need guys who you can trade to someone who has a massive hole in their roster. If they drafted a Jerry Judy or a Jackson Smith and Jigba or a Terry McLaurin, someone like that, then the same logic of the Deion Jackson pick applies here. These are guys who you can rely on being the second target in their offense, not being super explosive, but getting meaningful snaps and meaningful fantasy points week in and week out. Guys we're avoiding in this range, um, first of which being is Chase Claypool. And I, I do understand that with the 14th pick in round 10, there really are no terrible picks, terrible avoids, but he is the third best wide receiver in a run-centric offense with a quarterback who has a very low completion percentage. On top of all of that, when he was the wide receiver one last year, he for this team, he scored 7.1 fantasy points per game. Darnell Mooney's coming back. They bring in DJ Moore. It's going to be less than 7.1 fantasy points per game. So the reason I bring up Chase Claypool is because he's an interesting option, and I do see the argument he's incredibly athletic. But he's going before guys like Alan Lazard, Van Jefferson, and Romeo Dobbs, and that's inexcusable. You've got to lock in on those number two options in a pass-heavy offense. Another guy you're looking to avoid here, the anti-Deon Jackson, um, is Evan Hull. He's going at the 10-04. Evan Hull is a fifth-round rookie pick for, for the Indianapolis Colts. He's a running back. Um, the problem with taking Evan Hull, A... He's a rookie. If you've listened to this show at all, you know we're kind of avoiding rookies. B, he profiles to be more of a pass-catching running back. He had more receiving yards last in his last college season than he had rushing yards. With Anthony Richardson at the helm of this team, you should not expect a lot of checkdowns, a lot of targets to the running backs. Anthony Richardson is the premier throw-it-deep-or-tuck-it-and-run guy. Evan Hull is has the same allure of Deion Jackson of, ooh, there's no Jonathan Taylor, I might have a starting running back. You don't. Evan Hull's not that guy. It's Deion Jackson's backfield until Zach Moss gets back, who, and Zach Moss broke his arm. 
you shouldn't expect Zach Moss playing football anytime soon. And with that, we are going to wrap up with um, all of the specific round-by-round -round targets. There's a handful of guys who are way in the late round um, that I just want to give two seconds to here. Late round targets, good ones include literally any quarterback. Um, there's 18 starting quarterbacks in week one. There's 17 starting quarterbacks in week two. One of the quarterbacks that someone else drafted is going to suck. All right, last year that guy who was going kind of high was Matt Stafford. He had a terrible week one, a terrible week two, a terrible week three. And if you had drafted a second quarterback, then that opens up the gates for you to make a trade with that team to keep them in the running. Or if, you know, God forbid, you're one of the guys who drafted a quarterback who just stinks, you've got the safety net. You know, and if you make it through week one, you know to make the switch and you're in good shape. You don't have to spend fab or trade capital to lock down that spot. Other good rate late round targets are any second string running back. Um, they have to be a true second string running back to be a great option. A third string guy or, you know, a, a Cordero Patterson is a great example of like, he's going in the late rounds. He's getting drafted for some reason. He's not a true backup running back in the events that Bijan Robinson gets hurt. Tyler Algier is going to take most of those carries away from Cordero Patterson. So if it's a true second string running back, like Kyron Williams for the Rams, for example, there's no one else in that backfield. It's Cam Akers, Kyron Williams, and if you can name anyone else there, I'll be impressed. But a third string running back or someone who would have to split time with someone else if the starter gets injured, it that's not the picks you're looking for. A true second string running back is always a good late round target. And the final specific late round targets that you should be looking at uh, in your guillotine drafts, you've got Marvin Mims, who is a rookie wide receiver. And I, I do push back against rookie wide receivers a lot, but he's going at pick 198 and there's no Jerry Judy presumptively for the first few weeks. If Jerry Judy comes back, you can probably cut Marvin Mims. He's not going to mean a lot, but if Jerry Judy doesn't play, there is a real shot that Marvin Mims is the top wide receiver option on the Broncos. I would definitely lean Cortland Sutton. It's most likely to be Cortland Sutton. But we saw Cortland Sutton be the quote-unquote top option for the Broncos last year, and it wasn't all that inspiring. Marvin Mims has a great talent profile. He was a second-round pick in this most recent draft. This is a regime that wants Marvin Mims to be a part of the passing game, and there is no one else in this Broncos receiving room. They have Tim Patrick, they have KJ Hamler, both of those guys suffered season-ending injuries already. Jerry Judy's missing time. Cortland Sutton's 29 years old. Marvin Mims could end up being a very important pick, especially if Jerry Judy misses week one. Michael Wilson, another rookie wide receiver, but he's going all the way at pick 225, so it's maybe a little bit more acceptable uh, to draft him. Michael Wilson's starting. There are not a lot of rookie wide receivers who are starting in two wide receiver sets for their team. The only other rookie wide receiver team, only other rookie wide receiver who was expected to start for their team is Zay Flowers. And he's going 150 picks before Michael Wilson. Now, two reasons for that. One, Zay Flowers is probably a better wide receiver than Michael Wilson. Two, Michael Wilson plays for the Arizona Cardinals, who, as we know, suck. But targets are targets. And this late in the draft, you're, you're not finding anyone past pick 200 who is the second option to catch the football on their team. And the very last late round target, all the way down at pick 292, can't believe I'm going back to the Cardinals well, but I am. It's Trey McBride. Trey McBride is a part of the reason why Zach Ertz is a wasted pick, because Trey McBride is already the better tight end. He started more games for the Arizona Cardinals last year. He got more snaps whenever they both played together. You can expect that to continue. Trey McBride is a second-year tight end. The jump between rookie year and second year is always the biggest jump that a tight end takes in their career. You don't even have to expect him to take a jump. 
Just expect him to get somewhere in the range of six to eight targets per game, and you'll be happy with this pick as the very last guy to go on your bench. You take a look. If he's involved week one, then great. You, you struck some value with your last overall pick. And if he's not involved week one, guess what? You can cut him for someone way more interesting and exciting later on. And with that, we're going to wrap this episode up. Thank you all very much for watching for listening. Please listen. Uh, please go ahead and visit our sponsor, the share button, and press any button you so choose after the share button. But with that, I'm Joe Harris. Thank you all very much, and I'll see you next time.